Gaming NBS episode 256 coming to you Monday, August 19th, 2019. All right. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's around. Sean, I'd ask you what the hell you did this last weekend, but I know what you did. Because I was there, man. I spent it with Brettster. (laughs) So it was uh, Sean, Wayne Lumrunner, Humphleet, me. We had Brian there. We had, um, I always mispronounce Brian's last name. Sean, help me. Save me. Whack'em. Thank you. And uh, (laughs) Joe Papa Swick was in from Detroit. Detroit Rock City. And uh, Mr. Alex Kimmer of Gamehole con fame and the game hole uh, loaned us the game hole which is super sweet of him and uh, oh I should also say Wayne's uh, Wayne's daughter was gaming with us too that was a lot yes. of fun Allie yeah Allie was there and I uh, ran some Avalon stuff we played some board games and just had an all around uh, pretty damn good relaxing time Shadowrun Sprawl yeah Shadowrun Sprawl Sprawl Ops or Sprawl something yeah that was pretty cool and then uh, I played Cartographer did you? Okay, you guys played that after I left. Got my ass kicked <laughs> in both games. Damn. Yeah. Well, when we were playing the Shadowrun Sprawl board game, we're like, okay, we're working up for like the final mission, working up, working up, and Swick's like, hang on a second, I think I can do this right now. We're like, holy shit. And then Wayne tells us, oh yeah, this game is a pretty quick runtime. Like, well, son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway. Oh. It's a pretty good game. Pretty good game all around. Yeah. The Avalon game was a lot of fun. That was pretty cool. It was fun, Brett. Thanks for running. Ah, thank you. You're welcome. I had a good time. So let's see here. <coughs> Excuse me. Enough about that stuff. What's coming up? What's coming up here? Um, Avalon Kickstarter, while we're talking about Avalon, people should have, if you're part of the Kickstarter, and um, you're putting on demand coupons, your coupons, as we would say here in uh, lovely Wisco, uh, your coupons should be in your inboxes, people. So a friend of mine said, hey, I didn't seem to get mine. Something's wrong. And I said, well, what are you going to do about that? And he goes, ah, I emailed that Phil guy. <laughs> I said, Phil, get back to you. And then he texted me like two seconds after I said that. He goes, yeah, apparently um, you and Phil are psychic because as soon as you had said, Phil, get back to you, Phil did get back to him and solve that little problem. So it's, it was pretty cool. I'm Joe brought his... Mr. Swick was a backer at the what's in a box level, so he brought me a copy of the box, what was in it, so I could see it. And I knew what was in it by description, but I hadn't physically seen it, so I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, so I was very I was very grateful that he brought that with him all the way from Detroit. Thanks for the copy, dude. Hey, no problem, man. Brett gave me a copy, even though I ordered a hardback. I think I forgot to sign that one for you before I left. You did. So I, uh, <laughs> I'll have to catch you again if you sign want me to if you want to- me to devalue it too eBay, eBay, Lily, Lily eBay buyer. Yes. I'm going to fucking do that too. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say Then two everybody eBay will think buyer. I never got one. Like it just was from eBay. Yeah. I won this off of eBay because so Brett never what, gave me one. What I want you to do is then say, yeah, man, I had to pay like 200 bucks just to get this thing. So okay. people like freak out. Okay. It's totally worth money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh, well, so speaking of cool stuff, GameholeCon.com is the place to go to find out everything you need to know about GameholeCon. So that is Halloween. 
That's coming up right quick. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get Alex back in the show. We met him out for uh, Beer Friday night, and he had a couple interesting things he wanted to talk about. So we might want to see if we can get him back on, chat with him a little bit. What do you think? I guess. All right, fine. Fine. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe. We'll see. Well, so you know anyway. what he did? He bring up. He brought up a topic that I think would be okay, which would be the. He's like, what you should. One of your topics should be because I told him we did the Temple of Elemental Evil. Oh, the design contrasts. He he wanted. He's like, what modules from the olden days have aged well, and, and could be. And that dude knows old school modules because yeah. he has them all. Right. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's exactly the topic I was thinking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, so there get you him go. In there. Talk about that. Yeah. I'll put that on your plate. There you go. Sounds um, good. Let's see. So go to gameholcon.com if you haven't already bought your badge. Check out events and so forth. Um, yeah. It's a good place. It'll be a lot of fun. Hope to see lots of folks there. Evercon.org. Evercon.org is uh, my little gaming convention. 1,200 person con up in central Wisconsin. That's happening in January. Check that out. Hopefully we will see you there as well. Sean, any other announcements? Anything cool, crazy? No. No? No have those forums done yet? Oh, well, I'm working on it. Working on it? All we'll right. see. Can't soft launch. Soft launch. What do you mean? <laughs> Fuck, it's not working. Ah, shit, try that. Ah, damn it. Oh, I can't Son say, like, it's working, have everybody, f- like, go head over to here, and then it's not there. Everybody flock over to it, and then it made to take it down because you're working on it. I get it. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair, Sean. That's fair. Cool. I found out they're free. I didn't realize that they're free. If you want the hosted version, it's 100 bucks a month. Wow. Holy crap. Yeah, that's a little steep, but, you know, that's headache-free. That's true. It would be. And they do cater to some big rollers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna spin up did, an instance on DigitalOcean. Did you I'm bother to tell them who we were that this deploy. is gaming BS? I know went, somebody that so works where we sh- where we host some of our shit. So I saw him at a, a IT conference and I'm like, hey, I'm your customer. <laughs> Son of a gun. Where's my Son. discount? Brian God damn Ho- it. Brian Hogan. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this. Of course not. <laughs> He's a cool developer. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, let's random encounter it up. Ah, let's do dicking around. Yeah, yammered on long enough. Randoms encounters. So, I'll, well, it doesn't matter. Anybody, you, you start. You I go. start. You start. Bill, Bill of House Durfee emails us on my misfortunes. He says, "My friends from Afghanistan have celebrated eighth annual Alive Day when we got the uh, closest of close calls." which are probably way closer than what I've experienced. Uh, I want to include Sean in our next Alive Day. Oh. Yeah. I'm back in China, and I recall the motorcycle accident. Uh, I'm glad you are still around. We will include Sean when we tip a pint next Alive Day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I am very, very honored to even be lumped in with those guys because those guys face big danger. Yeah, purposely. But right, like <laughs> I signed up for this. I don't want to be signed up for it, but they they are there, um, under yeah. orders. <laughs> so correct. So thanks, uh, Bill. You know, well, hope hope that all those guys are doing well. And uh, tip my hat to you guys. Thanks for serving. And absolutely, I'm more than honored to be a part of a live day. That's very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Thanks, Bill. All right, let's see. Angela of House R writes in to help Lewis's inquiry on running a game for all women. 
Hello, Brett and Sean. I'm a longtime listener and lurker. This first time I was enticed to write in. I'm responding to Lewis's question regarding running a game for a group of women. As a female who's been gaming for almost 30 years myself, I thought my perspective might be helpful. First, I want to thank Lewis for trying to be sensitive. However, the bottom line is that most people want to be treated like people, regardless of their gender. My simplest answer to his question is that on average, a group of females want to play a similar game to any group of males he's previously dealt with. You two were giving similar advice, which I think is great. But being a woman myself, I wanted to support that point. The truth is, in this day and age, we shouldn't assume that just because someone looks like a female, that that is their gender they identify with anyway. So when dealing with a group of strangers, try to remove gender from the equation and treat everyone equally. My bottom line advice is to approach this group like any other group of gamers. As you play with them and get to know them, adjust your GM style and the adventure specifics to each person as an individual, regardless of their gender or any other stereotype that you may have. Also on, <coughs> excuse me, also on the other topic about player expectations, there are two great resources I want to make sure you have. First is an article from 2013 that lists 11 ways to be a better role player. Just got a link. We'll have that in show notes. The second being an episode of the Plus One Forward podcast about player agenda and principles. We'll also have a link for that. Both of these have information I think you and your listeners will enjoy. I agree in general that there are a lot of gaming resources about what a game master should do, but I think that players have an almost equal responsibility. I'd like to see more discussion on this topic, so I look forward to your future episode. Clothing and closing. Thanks for a great podcast and thanks for pulling me out of the shadows. Please continue the great work. Sincerely, Angela, not the famous one. Oh, and she says, yes, she is the shy one that shook my hand at Origins a couple years ago. So I have met this Angela. Very nice person. Very cool. Angela, great to hear from you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Angela. And you're famous with us. Yeah. And I think your advice is sound. And uh, we'd asked before. Uh, for any female listeners we had or anybody who had good opinions or ideas on this to write in and let us know. So good stuff. Thank you very, very much. And I appreciate you taking the time. Yes, that's very important. Thanks for lending perspective, which is much needed. Absolutely. Blake of House Ryan responds to the mongrel. I think they, they I think they live right next to each other. Well, they must. I mean, Australia is a pretty small place. Right. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I live right next door to Brett, so yeah, pretty much. I mean, they just they just pick a shrimp off the barbie and chuck it at each other when they want their attention. Yeah, They're trying to avoid the poisonous snakes and trees yeah. that will kill you. They probably get the same crocodile, same boots from the same crocodile. I would assume so. Good day. Regarding pure mongrels, energy and expectations query, you can do a session zero to set expectations and just say, "Hey, we all make this game work. Paying attention and putting energy in makes it work. It's our story." Sourcing the table for ideas helps too because they do the driving. So once per dungeon, you say, hey, there's something in the crates your parents would value. What is it? Or your party makes camp and there's a small, a small, there is a smell that reminds you of your childhood. What is it? Let them talk for a while while you take a breather. They are fighting a monster type and they've fought dozens of times Say, hey, this one sounds different. What does it sound like? Get them to do some sound effects accents. You are not the only entertainer. They can describe what their characters are doing. If one of them has a good voice, then they can read out some box text. Lastly, don't be afraid to take a break. You're not a machine. Take three to five minutes and have a few deep breaths. Get some water. Munch down a Chico roll. What the hell's a Chico roll? Eh. Probably, got ve- probably has Vegemite and shit it's a, in it. It's an Australian thing, man. <laughs> um, Pure Mongrel is doing good work. A legend. 
links to my brief YouTube videos below. So we'll have those in the die roll that he Blake has talked to the talked about these specific points about sourcing the table, which is a 10 minute video and session zero, which is an eight minute video. Keep the dice rolling fellas, Blake. So I do want to call out a piece that when Blake mentions what the mongrels doing, if, if folks remember he's doing um, this is kind of, he's using role-playing as a way to help teach social skills and stuff to uh, kids and, and people and so on. And I think some of the things that Mongrel's dealing with in that space, I am not there. I do not know. I'm absolutely guessing, but it's probably not what a lot of people would call them. or use this phrase normal or, you know, people with different perspectives, very seriously different perspectives from all sorts of walks of life. So I like, I, I think sometimes much like the, the earlier one where, you know, where Ange says, Hey, you know, Angela is like, you know, you know, we're all gamers, treat us like, treat us, you know, with respect as people and so forth. And I think the type of thing that the uh, mongrel's doing is awesome. And I, I really think the stuff that Blake here is thrown out is some of the stuff that you and I would do, Sean. You know, I need a breather. So give me a name of a bartender. Tell me a thing, you know, give me a second to do this and sourcing the table like that. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I do and that because I'm lazy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 but but I think it's I think it's interesting how some of the uh, interesting is maybe the wrong word, but the these types of things um, I think can work regardless of the audience almost at least that they had they they have in my experience mongrel um, obviously doing something a little bit more intense perhaps right. than I have, but um, like it's still still a good idea to look back at some of those things that you do in a quote unquote regular game, and is that something that would help mongrel? Obviously, when you when you hear that, you may say, Ah, Brett, Sean, you. Dumbasses, that's totally off base. That doesn't work at all. I've tried that a thousand times. Our apologies, but um, curious what you think, Ben. Cool. Yeah. What else we got here? Ah, we got Ron Bishop. He emailed us preemptively on this episode of Art and RPGs. He enjoys the Random Encounter episode show. Uh, you guys are the best audience in the world. You know? You know, God damn it, we do. Our audience is pretty freaking awesome. I would have to say. It's, it's quite good. I mean... I, yeah, uh, I, w- I, w- I would never dispute that. I would never dispute it either. No. Because I'd be a liar, and that's not me. No, let's not lie. He goes on to say, I see the next episode is about art and RPGs. That has always been one of the biggest draws for me, going all the way back to the 1E Monster Manual I had in junior high back in 79. I admin a Facebook group called Black and White Illustration for Tabletop Role-Playing Games. Had to expand the name out from the BWTTRPG to, uh, because, <laughs> because lots of people aren't familiar with what, with all the acronyms. Well, it seems like a small niche. There are almost 2,200 members from the About and early role-playing pamphlets. Books and modules were in black and white, mostly because color was out of reach technically or financially. However, black and white also captured the spontaneity and energy of role-playing. This group showcases both old school and current black and white illustrators in the RPG field. Um, there are several veterans and newer RPG artists in the group. Russ Nicholson, Bradley K. McDivitt, Tony Acklin, Paul Daly, David Day, Darlene, Jeff D. Wow. Um, Kent Burles, Chris Arneson, David Guile, Melissa Guile, Aaron Howdle, Jason David Russell, Brian Thomas. Oh, my God. Skull Fungus, uh, Ray Otis, Dave Bazina, Hannah Saunders. My God. Uh, there are game designers and game book authors in addition to those listed above. Wow. Uh, David Beatty, friend of the show, friend of ours is there. Greg Gillespie. Um, Try Anthony. Oh, my God. Tons of stuff. 
While the largest demographic of members are 45 to 54-year-old men, grognards, I try to make sure there's diversity of artwork from different games, genres, styles, and artists, including women, LGBTQ, minorities, voices, um, that he's also trying to get represented. So very, very cool. Thank you, Ron. Good call out there. If you're on Facebook and you can handle it, go out there and take a look at that. When I say handle it, not this group. I'm talking about Facebook. Facebook's kind of annoying. But black and white illustrations for tabletop role-playing games. Very cool. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Thanks, man. Crim Fam comments on suspending belief. So he's going a few back. Mm-hmm. J.R.R. Tolkien had a notion of secondary reality, which characterizes it in terms of internal consistency. I think things like dragons and fireballs are part of the secondary reality of fantasy. They're things that work in the genre and people accept them as part of it. If you use magic to fall long distances or hold your breath, sure. In some cases, like Barrier Peaks, you also, you're also you also talking about the boundaries of genre, but that affects the secondary reality in other ways. However, the goofiness of falling damage or breath holding is really quite jarring in no small part because most people have some kind of real-life experience with it. They're really not part of the secondary reality and thus are jarring. I also think that things like falling or breath-holding have a kind of uncanny valley effect and that these are things that are close enough to real life. Maybe a game focused on monks, then yeah, incredible breath-holding or falling makes sense because they fit the secondary reality. And you're right. Handling this gracefully to keep the game rolling is very important. Where it gets particularly bad is when a player with rules lawyer or power gamer tendencies has found an exploitable loophole. Yeah, that's fun. Oh, yeah, I can fall 3,000 feet because I'm within six inches of this wall and take no damage. So I'm going to, oh, you know, that type of thing. Right. Good points. I'd forgotten about uh, Tolkien's notion of secondary reality. Thank you. And I think that is true. When it comes closer to real life, it can be more jarring. You see a griffin or a dragon or something fantastic. You let, It's easy to go, well, yeah, they don't really exist. Ah, that's magic. It's, it's supernatural or whatever the case is. So, yeah, once it gets closer to real life, it does have a more smack-you-in-the-face jarring level. So very good point, Grimfan. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, we got Word. a voicemail from Kojo, man. Kojo. Lay it on us. Brad and Sean. Hey, it's DM Kojo. Calling about Temple of Elemental Evil. I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite adventures of all time. Uh, even now, uh, I would say that. I haven't run it since uh, I was much younger, but I think I would definitely run it again now. I find that uh, these older adventures, I know they suit me. Maybe it's because what I grew up with. Uh, but I don't think I'm just viewing it through the lens of nostalgia when I say that I think it's a great adventure. It's, I think it's important that when we look at, you know, historical things in our hobby or in any hobby, that we do take it with a grain of salt and view it through the lens of when it came out and, and the era that it's an artifact of, I guess, the history teacher and me talking, but uh, you know, I wouldn't look at video games and say, oh, you know, the original NES Legend of Zelda was good, but the new games are so much better just because technology has advanced and ideas on game design have advanced. I would still say, you know, and, you know, looking back at it, that it's a great game. Um, I think that, you know, fancy layout and art and, you know, all these quality materials and layout designs and everything for RPGs certainly have 
improved in some ways, but when you look at the core of the game itself, I really feel like the old modules did give you everything you needed to be successful running it, but I do think that it was some freeform prep was needed by the Dungeon Master. Maybe they could have done a better job explaining how to do that, but again, it's the early days of the hobby, and every Dungeon Master, I think, was kind of figuring it out on their own, including the game designer. So just my thoughts on Temple of Elemental Evil. Love it. It's a great campaign starter for me, and I would probably run it still. Thanks. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Kojo. Yeah, man. Good perspective. I think when we talk about old versus new. Yeah. Better versus not as good is so there's the there's that can be rough. It, there's inherent know. opinions. Yes. Okay. And then there are facts. And I think separating the two is where everybody gets into a big kerfuffle about stuff, right? Yeah. We don't usually argue the facts because it's there. I mean, what are the facts? Like there's a difference between the two. And then what happens is. What do you like? What do you like of those two? Which do you prefer? Which do you, right. Which do you prefer? So look, is his Nintendo analogy with Zelda and going back to like six, eight bit. Mm -hmm. Everybody could love eight bit. Yeah. But 32 bit. The graphics are better and better as in advanced. Yeah. Te- te- so it's technologically. We use feeling words. Right. To describe something. Yes. Because oftentimes it's difficult to use other types of words. Yes. Right? They just come to mind immediately. Oh, have, this is better. What do you mean it's better? Well, it's a sharper well, picture. Well, people don't usually quantify anything. That's the problem I have no, with a lot of things. We go, back <laughs> we, to that, we go back to that yes. episode, and it's like, it's one of the top 10 rated modules of all time. And I have, we have somebody actually on our Facebook that's like, hey, I've got that dungeon. I got that dungeon magazine. Oh, yeah. They're going to scan it. And, oh, perfect. And, and show us like, there and whatever. And somebody else posted something on Twitter. I don't know if it was Wayne. God, I apologize because they're probably like, it was me, it was me. But somebody posted on Twitter and said, oh, and then this, there was criteria based on some type of ranking, but it was really, it, it sounded like it was kind of fluffy. There wasn't any really It's goofy, man, because when you talk about what's good or not, popularity contest yes. right, is kind of what happens. Who's who's prettier, who's more handsome, who's more attractive in what way or whatever. If you don't like that thing, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, it's kind of like Ken and Robin. They're an any award-winning podcast, but their audio quality could use a facelift, in yeah. my opinion. Well, I, I agree. I also would say that I enjoy the show from time to time, but I wouldn't call it an RPG podcast. Well, because right. that's. But again, that's right. your and my opinions. So my point Ooh. is, with talking to Kojo, that's why we have a podcast, because we can talk about... <laughs> We could talk about this shit, right? It's yeah. right. We could have opinions, and we could say, "Oh, well, think, this is this is kind of the deal." And I think the the best thing we can do to serve ourselves and our audience appropriately is like, look, this is what we think, what some people say, and unless something is glaringly bad, and by bad I mean harmful to someone, if it's it's clearly a matter of opinion, like, hey. I like that old school approach. Good. If you like that, you will love this. 
If you don't like that, you may well not like this so much. It's it's tough. I mean, Jared Rasher writes some really good in-depth reviews. And it's it's hard to review stuff. Well, you have. You know, when yes. you're because that's essentially art or very up for grabs or I don't know, it's conditional. <laughs> well, we're going to get man. into this shit, right? I know. Let's do it. All let's right, go. So let's get into that. We'll just uh, do something like this. It's upon us. It is. Art so, and RPGs. Man. Art and RPGs. Very much a, I like this. I don't like that. Why? Because yeah. it's art, man. It's art, man. It is. Man. Hey, man. No, I, played a, I played a beatnik bard in Brett's <laughs> game on he Saturday. He had, so he had bongos. Had bongos and cool, cool kind of, I don't know what the hell kind of beard thingy it is. A little goatee. It's a goatee, but there's a specific kind of goatee that. It's a goatee. If you have the mustache with it, that's called a Van Dyke, actually. That's yeah. what I'm talking about, Van Dyke. Yeah, that's yeah. what most yeah most people in our generation mistakenly call a goatee, which is not true. It's oh, a Van Dyke. I see. So the goatee is just just the, the chin. That's got that's it. That's a goatee, like a goat. Right. There you go. Oh man, thanks for setting me straight, Brett. Hey. Now I'm gonna. I'm now I'm on a mission. Facial hair lessons. That's not a goatee, you dick. That's a freaking <laughs> Van Dyke. Yeah. Anyhow, so art, man. Art. You've, wanted to, you've wanted to talk about this for a while. I um, have. And there's it, a lot of ways to tackle this shit. There is. I think one of the... Let's hit this first and see where we get. All right. You know, how important is art to an RPG? Oh, my God. It's so important. <laughs> it if is. You, if you bought... If you picked up an RPG... Yeah. ...that had no art in it... Oh, my God. Would that turn you off? First of all, why would I do that? Because I told you it's a really good game. Oh. So I go, hey, look at this. It's really cool. You read a review. Oh, it's great. The, yeah. The, but there's no art in it. What kind of game is it? It's an RPG. Don't worry it's about a it. Word, it's a word game RPG. <laughs> yeah, it's called Sudoku. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, I, I, uh, so I... I, does, I guess, does art attract you to a game? Does oh, it make you... Oh, hell yeah. Hands down, not without a question. If it wasn't there, if you didn't have a cool looking cover or some kind of a eye candy to grab you, would you want to, you know, would you even look at that? Would you look at that book, man? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, when you see, if you, we don't want to judge a book by its cover. Oh, duh. I don't believe that at all. But man, when you see really snazzy looking art, or if you see, what is you deem offensive, you deem crappy, you deem blah, 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 blah. Right. That could turn you off completely. So I don't, I do think the adage, you can't judge a book by its cover, applies to books, novels, novels, books, biographies, that type of thing. Yeah, sure. Yes. Got it. But with our little niche, our world that is of, the BS and RPGers, it's not the same. No, because that's supposed to be a grabber and indicative in some way, evocative. There's too of the game, right? Yes, there's too much that goes into an RPG that is not. It is different than a novel. It's just way, way, way different. We can read them like novels. But they're not 
at all the same. Not even close. I've equated it to the movie poster. Sure. When you walk into the theater and you see the movie poster up there. Yeah. And sometimes it's well, just a shadow and you're like, oh, that's Godzilla. Yeah, but you can't judge a movie poster by its a movie by its poster, can you? Oh yeah. I don't think so. I've walked by movies posters and went, that ah, doesn't look interesting at all. And it'd be the best. It could be. See, I think that's too close to a novel book. I, I'm comparison. just saying it's similar though, where it's designed to really grab you. Yes, I agree in that regard. Yes. And a good movie poster tells you, hey, this movie's gonna have this stuff in it. Right? Or sometimes that, that book the novel of that isn't always the most accurate, blah, blah, blah. But I, I guess when RPG one, when you see, you know, the warrior queen on her horse stabbing a dragon, you're like, huh. But there's some badass sons of guns in this book here that are going to stab dragons. Stabbing dragons, that's probably part of this game. You know? Sensibly, sensibly armored men and women fighting dragons is probably part of this game. Let's hope so. I'm just saying that's well. When you see that, that's there's what you're probably expecting. some. There's probably some games out there that have that that art on there, and there's like no, no, doesn't align. That's the difference. That's a huge. That's a deal, though. It's jarring. It is. Yeah, it but is absolutely. also they also play a role in branding. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Perfect example is if you look at Planescape. And you look at Dark Sun, and you look at Dragonlance, they all have particular looks and feels. And for that Beholder movie I watched, they that was the probably the first time in D&D TSR history where it was like, when we produce this product, we want it to look and feel a specific way. There was a style guide for Dragonlance. Correct. Larry Elmore said that to you and I at GaryCon last year. Yes. Drinking bourbon with Larry, which is fucking awesome. Right. And he's talking about the style guide. Yes. And how they wanted it to look and all that stuff. Right. Because it was centered around a group of characters. Right. You don't, it would look weird if you took Planescape art. Yeah. Tony DiTerlizzi's art. I'm yes. I mispronounced his last name. Right. And put it in Dragonlance. Doesn't work. Yes. I mean, I mean fine. It's great art. That's not what I'm saying. Saying it just doesn't, it, there's not a consistent feel. Yes, it would be disjointed. And that's a and that's a piece, right? When you see when you see a cover, or especially internal pieces that are jarring, they don't jive, they don't mix, or excuse me, they feel like they're mixing metaphors, if you will. Or I don't understand. It's not evocative of the setting. It's not evocative of the 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 system. It doesn't seem to tell me what types of adventures or things that are happening, what's supposed to be going on here, right? right. When you when you pick up the um, uh, last time I read through Savage Worlds, one of the things to help invoke the fact actually Cipher System did this too. I'm sure GURPS says it's been forever, but the fact that it's universal and you can do anything with it that's that is scattered throughout. You uh, you could see at least in the Explorers edition of Savage Worlds, you would see like juxtaposed fairly close like the medieval fantasy combat two pages over is like the rocketeer and then there's an alien and then there's a superhero and then there's a vampire you know by doing that that game is telling you hey all this stuff is possible in this world right 
the old vampire, uh, the masquerade books and stuff by White Wolf. When you picked up the, you know, the werewolf book, the mage book, or whatever, it was all evocative of that stuff. Changeling was all about changelings and, and so forth. It was all very tight to try to say, hey, this is what this book is all about. It's very important. And I think more thought is, goes into, and it's not like Dragonlance was the only one to do it, but that idea of branding and really trying to keep it tight is something that game companies spend a lot of time on. I think arc direction and so forth is something that if they're smart, they're spending plenty of time to make sure that it's tight and makes sense and is sending the message that they want sent. When I did my Avalon uh, book, I, I, we were all very specific. I wanted to make sure that I, it wasn't just middle-aged white dude art. Right. I wanted uh, people of color in there. I want to make sure there was different gender representation and so forth. I wanted to have different stuff because I don't know who's going to pick up this book and I want them to feel welcome when they pick it up. And that's important. Yes. So I, th- <clears throat> I think when kind of put that aside, I shouldn't say necessarily just aside, but it, it, the importance of it is that you can turn someone away from your product that could potentially be an amazing supporter of your product if you don't have representational art, if you don't have art that's evocative and consistent and everything that we were just talking about, that that kind of the feel and you know, good art direction. If you don't have it, you can turn people away who may otherwise love your game or your product or whatever it is for RPG world. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. All right. Good. Good. We're on the same page here. That's good. Sean, what was the what was the first piece of art that you remember? That I remember your, from your RPG. We went, oh, what's that? Did you did you have that moment? Oh man, I well the PHB first edition. Same here. Advanced, uh, advanced D and D player's handbook. Hmm. Yep. Which cover? Yeah, the tramp. Ah, okay, that one. All right, yeah. The yeah. idol. The idol. Throw me the whip. I'll throw you the idol. I uh, my my um, buddy and his brother had the Eastley cover with the wizard. That was the one I started with. Oh yes. And when I saw the David Trampier version of it, I went, "Ooh, what's this? Is this a different? Oh, oh no, just different cover. Neat." Yeah. Okay. Cool. The one we're referring to is the one with the big or the orange reddish demon with the red gems in their eyes and yeah, the, the statue, dead lizard men. Yeah. Yeah. And they're plucking them out, and then there's a couple people standing, reading a scroll or something. That would be the one because that's that was like the first thing. Like, hey, this is a player's handbook. You're mm-hmm. going to need this to play. And you're like, what is this? Oh my gosh, this is great. We're gonna play that. Oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. Gonna color in these crappy dice. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I think it was, I can't remember which book it was, maybe the old role-playing gamers Bible I, I read ages back. I think Sean Fannin wrote that. Anyway, there was a, it was kind of a jokingly aside, if you will, that some of the old art was quote-unquote bad. When I say bad, like stylistically speaking, it was n- sometimes not an art-schooled person, right? Not a professional artist because there's not a lot of money in this. And sometimes it was the dude in the office who could draw better than everybody else. Was scratching the stuff out, right? Yeah, there's some pretty. There's there some. Is, there's there some bad some... perspectives. There's <laughs> some weird. 
even Tramp, uh, D- uh, David Trampier, who did that covered a bunch of others. Some of them, you're like, I think the perspective is off on them. It's still cool looking, but yeah, from an art critic perspective, probably not the best art, you know, stylistically speaking, but still pretty evocative. Which, if it's done right, even if it's quote unquote bad, it still evokes the right thing. Yeah, and then we should probably put a disclaimer out here because mm-hmm. as soon as we start poo pooing some of this or saying an opinion about well, a somebody particular, loves it. somebody's loving it, and that is mm-hmm. fine, and that is great, and that Absolutely. is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're trying to convey is that in the early days of TSR, they admit that they they didn't hire professional artists like they were in one in one uh, example they were talking about like. Literally, kids out of high school. Yeah, which they, that doesn't mean kids out of. No, all right, now I got to put another disclaimer in there because somebody's going to crucify me because their sixteen-year-old can draw like a champ, which they can. No, it's just the, nowadays when you look at now. Yes, there are professional artists that, because of the success of Dungeons and Dragons and the fantasy genre, you can make a living. Magic. Magic the Gathering, Magic whatnot. The you can you can make now make a living to you know define that right, but you can do that professionally. You can be a professional artist and do because guys like Larry Elmore, Eastley Parkinson, and so forth did all this work. Caldwell, like, Caldwell, all that. <clears throat> the Gang Four, yeah, Jeff D. Sutherland, Earl Otis. I mean, there's amazing Doug Kovacs, blah blah blah. I can keep dropping names, yeah. but you can be a professional artist. And be schooled and trained and so on and make this stuff happen. Frazetta did this stuff. Boris Vallejo did did stuff. There's a Boris Vallejo Dragon magazine covers and so forth. Now, one thing that's the, one of the other thing that's interesting from the art history perspective is I do remember being a, a kid and paging through the original monster manual and seeing boobies. Right. Oh, there were for there the were succubus. Yes, I think, there were succubus. Yeah. There was. Not a lot of uh, exposed men per se, but no. there were there were. Um, I think the Eldritch Wizardry cover for the uh, small, uh, old school box nude woman on the cover of it, or something along those lines. That was that type of thing doesn't fly very much anymore. Yeah, that's that's uh... <laughs> and rightfully so. That's that's a that's a relic. We can we can do without <laughs> that relic. We don't need that. Yeah, you know. There's still plenty of inappropriately clad ladies in combat, which you're like, why would you wear that while in a fight? Right. That just makes no sense. Well, the audience, the audience hasn't changed, but who, what, who they thought was playing the game, the perceived audience. Yes. Every people's perception of who's playing has been slapped. Yes. Yes. Be like, Oh wow. This is, Open your goddamn eyes yeah, and look they, who's and look who's playing. They thought a bunch of 13, 14 year old Brett and Sean's were playing the game all the time back in those days and therefore being full of hormones and her, you know. I don't know. It's just it, it was I, I also never, it was also a style though. I mean, you look at Frank Frazetta and the early Conan books. Sure. And some of that stuff, that style of art, Boris Vallejo. I mean Big dramatic poses of very muscular people and wonderful, you know, tits and ass. It was, you know, right. that's just what they did. Yeah. That was fantasy art. Well, and some of that comes from Renaissance artists, artistry, like voluptuous women, yep. no clothing. That's 
you know, hanging it's, up in the Louvre, it's different than that's art, <laughs> which is yeah. smut. Uh, yeah, right. It's, go- it's goofy. And, the, and then we take that and put it in a role playing book, and it's like, well, it's but again, just, though, it's yeah. the audience thing we talked about, right? And when once people once when people start to wake up and realize, hey, there's lots of men and women. And lots of different people of lots of different ages yes. and approaches to life and viewpoints and so forth that enjoy this stuff. And and we should all, we if, should all, we should also stipulate there are women that do appreciate that art. Oh hell yeah! Right there's oh, yeah as and there's women that don't and so yes. and th- and men that do men that don't exactly bisexual people that do and don't all that stuff. Yes, you, you find you find you cannot broad brush paint anything. No, you can't. Nope, I I agree. But you can look at art now, which I think some of the better ones are doing, and they say, hey, you know what? We can draw beautiful people, or what we think think is beautiful, right? and do it as tasteful as possible. Yes. Because you never know who might be a big fan of my work or this game. Right. Right? Or they can identify with. Exactly. We right. talked they- about this a little bit. You know, when you, when you start putting African-American women on Dungeon Crawl Classics stuff- you know, t-shirts. Right. I can't remember the name, the the classic character that Doug Kovacs drew. She's got the big Afro puffs thing going and yeah. she's just a badass. Yeah. That, I don't, then, know, I don't that, know their, their, their characters. There's, there's a name. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of names for them. They have you, them named. Yeah, they do. But when you start having that type of representation out there, that's really cool because there's more than just Brett and Sean playing this game. Right. You know, and that's really, really neat. I, my, my youngest daughter, Ilana likes looking at, she loves art. She loves drawing and so on. And one of the, she'll page through the books and she's looking for something that reminds her of her or her friends, you know? So it's, it's, it's interesting when you look at the styles and so forth. And I know some people, I have heard some people bitch about that. Like, oh, that's political correctness or whatever. And I'm like, okay, why do you, I mean, it's still great art. I mean, right. you look at it, it's really kick ass, but instead of some dude saving this poor naked woman from a serpent. It is two dudes, a female warrior, and you know the halfling warrior, and they're all fighting the serp- the serpent and the evil wizard together. Uh, why, why do we have to save any naked anything? <laughs> why 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 does that have to be part of it? That doesn't have to be there. Now, granted, if you're going to do that and that's your home game and that's what you 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 dig on, then I do do your you be you. But you know, what I mean, from an art perspective, in in the books, it doesn't need to be there, right? So what we're getting at is that over time, there's been a conscious effort to be diverse in mm-hmm. the art that is assigned to RPG products in order to ensure that people identify with it. Therefore, they will buy it. They will feel welcome. Blah. I think that's a good thing, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't. There's. Why would. Huh, well, I'm sure there's others that would say it's a bad thing, but yeah, somebody, does, somebody doesn't like it. But, yeah, you know. and that's fine. Whatever. I, yeah. I'm not get, here to get into a pissing match about all that stuff. But so, yeah, I was gonna say let's we can step away from that for a second here. Do you have a favorite fantasy artist? Fantasy artist specifically. Or, or, let's, just, let's just get RPG artist. RPG if artist. Pay, if you were gonna say, hey, one of my favorite, and sometimes to me it comes down to like a picture. Like right. that photo or that painting or that thing was so cool. When I think really cool RPG art, that I think Br- boom. Brett wanted to grow up and be that person in that art. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
You know, it is a very tough thing for me to say because there's a lot. And I I have a thing. So, like, there are the typical big four guys that were at TSR in the kind of their... In the 80s, man. Yeah, in the big art scene. I mean, it was... We already mentioned them. Elmore, Caldwell, Easley, and Parkinson. Yep. Okay. Amongst others that we... There's obviously more to name than just those four. But at when I was growing up, those were kind of like the key. I would see there. I could I could identify their artwork, which is unusual for me. You stick a Rembrandt in front of me, I'm sure. Yeah, but I could tell you if that was Willingham. Okay. From, from uh, BX art, I could tell you sure. his stuff. Earl Otis, I know Earl his. Otis, like, sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's Diesel's art. That's yes. Diesel of Force. Yeah, I know that. Right. Oh, Jeff D. That's Jeff D. art. Yeah. Boom, I can tell you. I've been to the Louvre. Very nice. I feel cultured, but yeah. That's no Doug Kovacs, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a Doug Kovacs artwork. Or Wayne Reynolds. Or Wayne Reynolds or whatever. The list goes on. But so the the type of work that I like is I like all those guys' work. I was always partial to Parkinson because I think the the specifically Elmore is very colorful. Mm-hmm. It's very, okay. very bright colors, reds, greens, robust. Parkinson's are, to me, I mean, they even mentioned this, like- He's more subdued. Shit brown or something like the oh, he's, Parkinson's. He's, he's yeah. more subdued. Right. Well, they said this in this documentary, like, yeah, yeah. about his palate. <laughs> so it's more subdued. And to me, it, it, it the realism to me mm-hmm. through Parkinson is hits home more with me through that. Where, you know, Larry's work is great. Caldwell's is great. And even some of Caldwell's stuff I liked too. Um, the Mines of Bloodstone were awesome because of the reflection and the chrome look from a, that's what it, that's what gets me crazy is when somebody can paint something and make it look like a metal or, oh, yeah. you know, it, yeah, that looks like a mirror. No, no, that is like a, it looks like a mirror. It, it looks like somebody took glass and po- pasted it in there. I always liked um, Elmore's lines. They are very, he's got good lines. Yeah. Good lines. Perspective uh, compared man, that, to man, Park- that guy. He's got some good lines. No, Parkinson has a, has a fuzzier feel to it. They're not as crisp where Elmore stuff is very clean from, to my eyes. So now having said that there are other artists Mm-hmm. That I don't think people know about, that I think really, I'll give you an example. So one of the ones I'm talking about is Veronica V. Jones. Nobody, I I would be blown away if anybody listening to this actually knows who that is. Because I didn't know this. I didn't know her name. I knew it was a female. I didn't know her name. I had to look it up. Got a piece? She did all the art to the Spycraft RPG. Oh my God, that's good. So all of the silver gray scale art of all the original Spycraft by um, now Crafty Games, originally it was by AEG, They're, every book. Yeah, that was sharp, man. It was gr- Spycraft was in green, and then it mm-hmm. would be the, the agent guy in black and white. Mm-hmm. Black and gray, actually. And then every single book after that, she did on the cover and that like if you grabbed or if you walked into a role-playing game store and you saw that book you'd be like that's spycraft 
And if you saw a supplement, you'd say a spycraft mm -hmm. because there was no question on what it just, it, the brand and the art and the look and the feel was consistent with every book that they ever put out. Yep. There was never a full color. No, you saw picture. those books. If you saw the book, you didn't see the title. You knew what it belonged to. Yes. Every time. And that was I, good stuff, man. Yep. And I liked what she did and how she did it. When they actually went to Spycraft 2.0, I was disappointed with the art route that they went. Okay. It just really aggravated me. I think one of the reasons they went the route they did is because they started emphasizing a, a card game. I was like, ah, okay. God, just why did you do that? And literally, it really turned me off. I could so, see that. Because I uh, respect comics and I respect art. But my preference is more of a realistic kind of thing. Like I'm, if somebody put out a, a, a game and the theme was like comic book art type style, mm -hmm. and that's really ambiguous too, because there are some really good comic book artists like Miller that captures some really good stuff. Like the dark Knight's gritty. Kind oh, of there's a lot of, there's a lot of good ones out there, man. There's <laughs> Sylvester was good back in the day. And I guess what I'm referring to is more of the Looney Tunes. Oh, okay. Right. Like prime prime colors. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, like tune. Yeah. If you're playing tune, great. It's yeah. thematic, but I, I don't like, you know, I'm not a big. Um, well, when White Wolf came out with Exalted, they yeah, had kind of a, what anime. felt to me like an anime feel, yeah, not I'm, my style. I'm not a big anime guy. No, I looked at it and went, oh, and I started reading it. I was kind of on the fence for the system anyway, but then the art turned me off because I'm like, I don't, this doesn't feel to me. No, me neither. Whatever. I know yeah, other people that love that shit. Big eyes, small mouth. Off. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, I mean, it's obviously big and it's a massive following. Right. It's just not my style. Also, I got to say, one of the best art kind of things that really was like, I want to play that game, original Top Secret. Really? If you look at the box... Passport, different monetary, different, uh, different, different passports. Uh, I think there's a nine millimeter, or yeah. is it a twenty-two Beretta? I don't know. There's a gun on there. There's the different currencies, like there's the top secret like folder. I think there's a folder, but it's top secret stamped in the stencil. Yep. Like that's that's espionage, man. That's world traveler James Bond shit. I want to do that. Play top secret, man. Yeah. Okay. But it's not, and I think that's a photograph, actually. Right. It I is. Think, yeah. That is, uh, and the woman on it showing leg was Gary Gygax's daughter, apparently. Is there a woman showing leg yeah, on there? I think oh. so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't catch it. Huh. Look at that. <laughs> didn't even notice. Didn't even notice. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think some of the things that got me was the first role playing game product I ever bought was the Red Box, and. Elmore's, Elmore's Red Dragon. The Red Bruh. Dragon. The Red Dragon was awesome. That was just super cool to me. So I've always liked Elmore. I, I've loved his stuff. I liked his Crystal Shard cover, his uh, original Dragonlance stuff. Um, I've always liked that. When I think one of the things I also really loved about like Parkinson too is when he did he did the original first edition AD and D uh, Lankmar book. He did. Which was I, I have that and that's I just I love that. The Fafa and the Grand Mouse are there, just amazing. I love it. And I think I like to your point, I like the realistic stuff. 
Doug Kovacs hits a weird itch for me because he, to me, captures Dungeon Crawl Classics perfectly. Well, that goes back to that, like, Joseph obviously made a conscious effort to do, like, I want Doug to do all the art throughout the entire, like, everything. Yeah, I need this look because this is this game, right? Right. And you get guys like, um, oh, shit, there's a ton of them, Rosloff and some of the other ones that are in in Sutherland Sutherland and so forth. There's some amazing, amazing work on there. And I like, there's certain scenes that I'll go through and I'll see it. And it's that artist, and I'll, I'll, I like the realistic piece. I think, as you're saying, and I see that, and go, I want to, I want to have that happen in my game. That piece of art, in almost every major role playing book I have, at some that I played a ton of, I could parse through and see it. The original Warhammer Fantasy role playing book, it has Gotrick and Felix before they became like this huge um, series of uh, novels and short stories and stuff underground fighting this huge troll with a black and white mohawk the troll slayers there it's this and these goblins and the 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 good guys are way outnumbered it's going to be a goddamn bloodbath i looked at that at the bookstore where i was working like i have to buy this game is that the same guy who did blood bowl uh it could well be i can't remember the artist on it but it was just like i want i want this thing to happen i want to be able to do this this exact thing i want this to occur there was and to me, that's what. That's why when, as goofy as it as it is, it's like the on the streets of Avalon cover. I wanted to have, the thief, from the rooftops looking down because I want that scene to happen. I've had that. I've had players do that. I'm like, this just this just feels so much like when you see this. This is what this is about. I want that to jump out at you, and I think when I'm when I look at some of that stuff. Some of the, I'll go through, oh, yeah, that was a neat drawing of a sword. Oh, that's filler art. There's, you know, a halfling talking to a dwarf. And sometimes even those small pieces, I remember there is a, I think it's a Jeff D piece of a male and female halfling in this fighter on his knees talking. It looks like he's like talking down to this male halfling fighter who just looks pissed. And there's this little bitty, go, it's in um, the, the BX in the expert book, if I remember correctly. And it's just wonderful. It's just this wonderful thing. And sometimes even the filler art of swords on a rack or the dungeon corridor and things like that, just that evocative piece. Um, but the anything I see that makes me go that, I want that to happen in my game. And if they put that on the cover, that's all the better for me because now I really want to see your game. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to see it. Well, it's tramps, tramps, three people around the treasure chest they're opening. Oh, fuck right. yeah. The pencil, the pencil one. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, two color. I love those. Ty- some, just the portraiture is okay. Like, here's a dwarf. Here's a halfling. Here's an orc. That's cool. Or here's a Vulcan. Or here's, what you know, here's a Romulan. I'd rather see the action. I want to see a scene that happens in this game. I want that captured. And when I see that captured, I'm like, ooh, that's it. That's it right there. Because if those are done, anybody can draw. I shouldn't say this. This is going to sound... Like anybody can. And that's not what I mean. Simply having portraits and gear, right? Here's a drawing of a gun. Here's a drawing of a truck. Here's a drawing of a thing. Um, one of the reasons I loved Star Frontiers when I got it was Larry Elmore's cover. Right. Just grab me right there. That's what the fuck is going on. And you, pay, and you read through the book and there's scenes, there's stuff happening. The Drellisites hiding behind in little, you know, pseudopods up over the sides so they can see what's happening. Those action shots to me, 
that's one of the really cool things that fantasy or RPG art, I should say, brings to the table. Because what those artists are trying to do is tell you what you're going to get to do. That's just awesome to me. Yep. I agree. So I guess I asked you what your favorite piece was that when you went to. Yeah. When you went to the the spycraft thing, is that well? I don't know. Your... I don't know if she's my. I don't know if that's my favorite piece necessarily, but I think it's a very branded, consistent, and uh, appealing approach to. This is what we want our game to be like, and we want her to do. I think she did. Well, there was some other folks that did interior art. There was a list of them, especially on the uh, the one role playing game or the mm-hmm. core rule book. But the, you know her, and I've seen I think prints of those and even alternate prints, right? Where some of the color does get thrown through, but I I don't I wouldn't go and buy like I'm going to get all the covers and get them printed and put them. Do up you collect on my art room. in any way? Um, no, I have not. Although I started looking at what some of the, the, the glyces, I think that's what they are, which are reproductions. I think they're called glyces or glucies that are reproductions of prints that are digital reproduce, digitally reproduced with okay. high resolution. Oh, okay. At, so they're better than prints. Oh, but they're also more expensive. Okay. So you can actually go on some of these major artist websites and they'll offer those. Oh, so okay. they're like 300 bucks a piece. Nice. Where like a print maybe like 50, I don't know, maybe 100, I don't know. Because I love, um, I've got two Elmore prints on my wall. I love, uh, the one I've been looking at some Brom. Brom does great stuff. Yep, he did a lot Brom. of uh, Dark Sun and a yes. number of other things. I should, I, I gotta make sure from a personal favorite piece, Eric Quigley is an artist and he did... Um, the death of Beecher, which is uh, Newton Beecher, were two characters in my Avalon. My first Avalon campaign ran with my home group. That was Lenny and Beta's characters. And Beta's character gets shot and is dying, and Lenny had it painted out for me. And I've got a canvas print on my wall. <laughs> it's just the coolest thing. Every time I look up at that, it's just it's just awesome. Original art is it. crazy, and it's not cheap. No, it is not. But <laughs> it is but, not. But it's so fucking know, cool. It, it is, is cool. so cool. And those Elmore prints on my wall, I have the red dragon. Then they have his redo of the red dragon with an older warrior um, outside, you know, again, approaching a wet, a red dragon that apparently just knocked him off his horse. And there's this, you can, you contrast the two. The first one is this young, dark haired warrior charging the red dragon. And the other one is he's like, all right, here we go again. His armor's dinged and dented. He's got a magic sword. It's glowing. He's just, Walking across the snow, killing another dragon. It's what we do. Motherfucker killed my horse. <laughs> it's just, it's got this wonderful feel to it. I just, I love it. I mean, there's a list of them that I, I think, you know, if somebody said, if you could get an original piece of art from any artist that's ever done or been featured in a particular book, the differences in my wants would be, would vary. Like, it would be great to have a Sutherland, DMG, AD&D There are some amazing artists that but, did stuff for Cassium in the Call of Cthulhu line. Sure. And the Elric stuff. Uh, I like Elric and Lebanon. I like I like the Michael Moorcock books, too. And, it, yeah, the, 
when you think any piece, you go through your library of books and things you love. And you're like, oh, my God, ah, I could use a spy car. Oh, wait, this one. Oh, oh, wait, that one. There's so much stuff. There's so much. Yeah, I contemplated getting Ravenloft, the the original the, Caldwell, original the Caldwell I, cover. Yeah, yeah. And, and getting that. And um, even Ravenloft 2 or... Um, with Strahd carrying the woman. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's there's so many, and I don't have enough wall space. Um, <laughs> Parkinson's, what do you mean, were lost. Oh, with the, the draconians? With the yeah. draconians, the gods of Lankmar piece with the, with the skeletons. Yes. Uh, skeletal warriors. The Lord Sauce Charge, I was, eh, you know, I still think the gods of Lankmar is better. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. But, uh... Yeah, those are probably pretty good classic pieces. I do want to, before I lose this piece, I want to call out one of the other things that RPG art has done, which is really cool, is when you get into the horror stuff, like Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. um, getting artists to draw something that was indescribable. <laughs> you read some of the books that that shit came from. It's like an indescribable, massive vibe you know, violent, violet protoplasm constantly forming and reforming that drives you mad when you look at it. Hey, could you draw that for me? <laughs> it, it is crazy. The numbers of different, like, hey, this is what Cthulhu looks like. And the interpretations and the variations on those themes. I think some of the, one of the cool things that we've gotten now that more artists, um, very experienced artists, right, in different styles take a crack at stuff and that's why you can take a game like exalted and it did really well i knew a lot of different people who really liked it and it's a very anime style i'll say that not my cup of tea but it's there there's a fantasy game with that style to it somebody's doing a horror game with a different style of art to it and sometimes it's just it's it's wacky it's amazing and it's it's really neat there's so much good stuff now yeah. And I think it's it the other thing that's kind of amazing is the impact that RPG art has had on everything that's not a tabletop RPG. If you yeah. pick up Skyrim, you pick up any, you know, video game, there it has those qualities <laughs> that that the guys at TSR, the men and women who put stuff together, that those artists that we're putting out there, that's that's the standard, right? You know, what does Cthulhu look like? What is this that harkens back to a lot of the old original artists that were drawing and painting this stuff? That's what it goes back to. And because it's becoming so accepted or, you know, modern or more and more people know it, it's just it, it's just really neat to see that influence wave out <laughs> to all this other stuff. That's just really, really cool. Yeah. All right, man. Did we hit anything you actually want to talk about on this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wanted to know kind of what your favorite artist was and piece and and what how the importance of art is within the mm-hmm. RPG hobby and uh you know, whether that's a deal breaker for some people or a deciding factor when picking up things. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, there's some people like, you know, just give me the grit content, cool. I'll make up my own art, my brain, which is fine, but I think, you know, Customarily speaking, traditionally, mm-hmm. it's been a, a big factor 
in the hobby. Agreed. I mean, I can't imagine making a product and then not thinking about the art that coincides with it. Me either. No. You know, it's like, nope. ah, what, what, art? Why would we need that? <laughs> what? Huh? Yeah. And it's, it's important. Like, you know, if you did Numenera and you're like, well, I want Matt Merrill to do Numenera and you had Wayne Reynolds do it or Elmore, it's there. You're going to get a f- different gonna, look, different feel. People are going to look at it and go, oh, it's if they looked at it like this way, it would be like, oh, that's what it is. And then if somebody else did it, it'd be like, oh, no, that's what that is. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah, I would be interested to hear. I know some people chimed in on Twitter on who their favorite artist was. We didn't, I mean, it wasn't a ton of feedback, but I would be interested to know who your favorite artist is and your favorite piece. And that piece could be just, you know, this page on this book, whatever. Let us know. And it doesn't have to be the same. You can have a favorite piece that isn't done by your favorite artist. Yeah. You know, I, the other thing that's that would be interesting, and I don't want to go who's your least favorite because we don't want to get in a you know no, bashing yeah. con- competition. But I'm curious as to do have you ever bought uh, an RPG or gotten into one or whatever despite the art, oh, or sure. or for an RPG that has very little to no art, you know, does that actually stop you? You know, if you don't enjoy the art or if it has minimal art, because art, as Sean pointed out, good art. It ain't cheap. No, it's not. So just kind of curious as to, I mean, we're talking, Sean and I both, obviously, we really like it. We like plenty of it and so on. But um, is there such a thing as too much in an RPG book for you? Do you um, I actually had that? I, I heard that once against um, Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea, the second edition of the big hardcover. There's too much art. I heard uh, from a couple of different people. I'm like, I don't know if that's possible. But, you know, taste may vary. I suppose. So anyway, just kind of curious what people's thoughts are there. Do you need art to buy the RPG? Is that a requirement for you type of yeah. thing? So cool. All right. Oh, we're going a little bit long. We yeah. Moving on. Right, 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 right. on, moving on. Die roll. All right. So we're going to have links to some of the pe- the, the references earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going along with this episode, we'll have links to some of the, the artist sites. If we, if they're out there, like some of the big ones, Todd Lockwood, Keith Parkinson, Larry Elmore, Clyde Caldwell, Jeff Easley, anybody else we'll put in there. If you want to add some, we'll, you know, point them, point them out. That's what we should do. Who is your favorite artist? What's your favorite piece? And where do people go to see it? And if you know someone, like I just said, Eric Quigley, yeah. right? I found him on Google Plus because he was doing some work and he did this piece for my friend. There's a lot of really good artists out there that we did not name. Yeah. Oh, tons. That are doing incredibly kick-ass work if you know somebody yep. some person out there man woman child do not care and she's cranking out the best damn stuff you've ever seen send us a name and a link i would love to put it out there yeah well because we'll, i'd love to get people looking at stuff yeah we'll combine it all and we'll do like an art links thing and put it out there for everybody to to digest slick uh, Eye of the Beholder uh, the Art of Dungeons and Dragons was a Kickstarter um, it is now available on its own website to include Amazon Prime. If you have it, you can watch it for free on Prime. Oh, can you now? Cool. It is a documentary on on the art of D&D. And I watched it a couple times and it was pretty cool. And it interviews a lot of people we talked about. Um, the number two, if you are a Dungeons and Dragons fan, you got to have the art in Arcana, a visual history. We'll have links to the, the book on Amazon. Um, that's... That's great stuff. 
talks about a little bit about the art and the different people that have contributed to D&D specifically. Sweet. Uh, I think that is... I think that's it. I mean, there's tons. I mean, you could go on and on for art and artists and things of that nature, but mm. we would be talking about... I mean, you could dedicate an entire show. We could like, just deep dive into one artist's RPG portfolio. Art Podcast. Yeah, somebody who's better at that than us do that, because that could be cool to listen to. <laughs> but it's hard, because it's a visual medium, and this is audio. It is. That's so, okay. Yeah. All right, man. We good? We're good. Um, I think that's it. What are we talking about next week, Brett? We're talking about cheating. Cheating? cheating RPGs. Come on. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Nobody cheats. I gamed with you last weekend. We got something to talk about. What? Okay. <laughs> deny it. Deny, deny, deny. That's what we're talking about. Cheating in RPGs. Next up. Fine, 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 fine. Cheating. It's acceptable in certain ways. <laughs> certain circumstances. All right. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark DeSaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Basor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Scoozer Role Roleplaying, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David Balog, Chad Gleyman, Finn Ulf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jeff Seifert, and Aaron Relia. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.